Hey, welcome back to E-Crime Bites. This episode is about the boasting fraudster, J. Nicholas Bryant. And E-Crime Bites, where we buy and go through the court documents so you don't have to. All right, so Act 3. Well, let me give you a real, real fast wrap-up of Acts 1 and 2 in case you don't want to go back and listen to them. We met J. Nicholas Bryant, who didn't seem rich to begin with but somehow figured out how to make himself rich by manipulating QuickBooks and Veeam payment systems to make it look like he would pay for stuff. And then he would go use whatever it was. And then basically the check would bounce and whoever it was he was trying to pay wouldn't get payment. And, and Ryan knew this. He never intended to, for anybody, anybody to get payment throughout this whole thing. But he'd been using this scheme to get things like private airfare, you know, like chartered flights for him and his friends, not just, you know, first class. We're talking charter the whole damn plane. Private jet executive style. Yep. Um, you're going to find out a whole bunch of other stuff that I kind of kept in my back pocket because I didn't want to give you all the good stuff up front. But he does a lot of other rich people shit coming up that some of the stuff I'd never heard of or even really realized Um was out there it's pretty amazing so one of the things i want to tell you here is well act three this is the title of the act is bryant talks to the media and immediately you should be saying hold on a second he just pleaded guilty and that was act two was him pleading guilty but in act three he's talking to the media and you say that sounds like a bad idea yep it is a very bad, idea, bad idea for yeah. For J. Nicholas Bryant, very good idea for a podcast that wants to talk about what it is that he thought about his crime. Because in this article, he basically tells a reporter everything that he did was basically correct. And he goes through even more things that we haven't talked about yet. And it's just kind of amazing. So this act is just going to be the information we get when he talks to the media before He's sentenced. So he's doing this well before he even knows how long he's going to spend in prison. So keep that in mind as Seth and I are telling you these things that he's telling to the Daily Beast. Now, if you followed our podcast with any length, you probably have figured out that I tend to not use news articles to give you the story of the electronic crime. I try to give you the court document view of what happened. And to me, that's the closest first source knowledge of what's accepted about a case but this is a news article and i try not to cloud what it is that we show you with news articles because a lot of times you know there's motivation behind news articles but in this particular case a it's kind of it's kind of freaking funny that he talked to the daily beast the way he did and b in my opinion this becomes evidence later on down the line. So we, we need to talk about this news article. There's no way we can get around not talking about this news article because his case will change based upon this news article. Some of this stuff is really good and we're going to, we're going to read it word for word. Some of it is a little more boring. We'll try to paraphrase through those sections, but I would say the, the, the lion's share of this Daily Beast news article, we could just read to you and you would just be sitting there laughing the whole time going, I can't believe he's saying this to a news 
media outlet. So with that, let me start with kind of the opener on this news article. And it is Bryant talking about what it, what he was able to do during his big fraud scheme. And he says, I took private jets and stayed at the most expensive Airbnbs and hotels. I went deep sea fishing and toured everything that was possible. And then he noted he had a lot of remorse over his actions. But then <laughs> immediately he says, I bought and drove five different high-end cars. By far, my most favorite trip was to Kurt Turks and Caicos. I spent two weeks on the island from fishing to sailing yachts. I stayed in a $30,000 a night house. It was amazing, he added. So immediately, if you're just jumping in here and you haven't seen the background of this case and you're going, wow, J. Nicholas Bryant kind of sounds like a dick. He kind of sounds like a douche. You're, you're, you're not far off. You're not far off. This is going to continue. You're going to see where he's kind of like, Hey, I did all this really cool shit. I feel bad for it, but I did this really, really cool shit. And that's going to be the theme from here to the end. And when, just when you think it's over, trust me, it goes even further. So stick around all the way to the end. He goes on to say, or no, I should back up and say, as part of this article, the, the Daily Beast went out there and interviewed his friends and you know, basically anybody that knew him that would talk to them. It seemed like they interviewed them. And again, a lot of this time, I don't try to cloud judgment of the case with outside influences other than court documents, but this is just amazing. His childhood friends said that growing up in the Midland, Texas area, he always had a way of talking himself out of a jam. One of his friends said he always seemed to have friends and talked about how his father was in the oil business. Now this friend didn't give his, his or her name. They said they they spoke on the condition of anonymity for fear of personal safety. Incredible, right? They went on and said, and this is the part I highlighted, well, he was always a piece of shit too. <laughs> there was just something with him. And it's like, when they said that, it's like, you can always imagine that person in your group of friends where you're kind of like, yeah, 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 I can relate. You know, you always have that friend that's a friend, but it's always, you always the piece of shit too. You had to be careful. You always had to keep him at an arm's length. And that's how his friends continuously describe him here. So in addition to uh, the prior conversation uh, and further talks with the Daily Beast, uh, Brian had said that while he thought it was, quote, crazy that they are comparing me to both Sor Sorokin and Abignail, Abignail, we'll come back to them, he feels like he's got the notorious swindler's beat. Quote, my story might be more wild than theirs. I can almost guarantee it. So uh, Sorokin, I believe, is uh, the Russian woman, right, who uh, I think they did a full Netflix TV show about where she basically was swindling, um, I guess, you know, rich white men for, for many, many years. Uh, like she was some kind of, I guess, um, seductress. Uh, I didn't actually watch the show. And of course, Frank Abagnale, who actually I've seen speak is quite amazing, was, um, you know, he was uh, uh, profiled in, in the movie Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio. And uh, but actually had a very interesting story. Uh, but that guy was a notorious, amazing uh, fraudster who ended up working for the uh, FBI, who ultimately brought him down in the late 60s, early 70s. And to this day is considered like an absolute brilliant uh, expert on, on you know, figuring out fraud. But anyway. My, um, one of my favorite movies, if you haven't seen the movie, definitely go out and watch it. And I will say 
I've researched this case and I'm pretty familiar with the whole catch me with you can fraud scheme. And I will say Frank was, has this guy beat by far. Like the, what Frank did was so much more clever even oh, back sure. then than well, what this specifically, guy's guy specifically back then because the technology didn't exist to just you know spoof an email or something like that he had to physically like create labels to show that he worked for a company and stuff like that yeah and this this guy did that but this was just relatively easy where he basically started a payment and then stopped i mean it's kind of the equivalent of just giving somebody a check and then going ah, sorry it bounced when yeah. it bounced you know well i mean and we'll get into kind of the how overly simple Brian's wasn't even a scheme. I think he just basically kept getting away with it. So he kept doubling down. Um, but anyway, all right. So in addition, um, one of uh, Brian's childhood friends mentioned that quote, it looked like he was living the high life and all of us from home were just watching this unfold in awe, asking each other, how did he do it? Uh, and in his first time speaking about his swindling spree, Brian told the Daily Beast via jailhouse text messages and a phone call from the Lubbock County Detention Center that the allegations against him are pretty much true. So I'm not sure, you know, how much of that pretty much is 100% or 92%. Um, there's an actual picture of him sitting there, I guess, on one of his G4 jets or some shit like that. Well, that's actually Hayden Egemeyer. So we're going oh, to hear from buddy. more okay. from we're going to hear more from Hayden. Well, I don't know if you remember from act one, I showed you a picture and I said, Hayden looks happy in this jet picture. Well, I put this little thumbnail down here to remind you, Seth, that, and I'll, I'll splice it into the video here for you uh, video watchers, but Hayden was the one was the friend that got a job with him. And you're going to see how Hayden was actually swindled. So this interview, this is Hayden after the fact, after Hayden has been swindled, he's basically saying, hey, he was living the high life and all of us were wondering how he did it. And you're going to find out that Hayden has a lot more to say about this in a second. So by the end of 2019, uh, Egemeyer said that he returned home and was looking for work during the off season. And he actually reached out to his old friend, Brian, about uh, working for him in the oil industry. Right? Remember, uh, Brian's father apparently was in the oil industry. So Egemeyer said, yeah, Nick and I had been already been posting Snapchats with all his money, and I had nothing to do, and I was in need of money, and he said I could work with him. So Egemeyer said that after filling out what he believed was a legitimate onboarding paperwork to begin working with a real company called GPS International, which, let's just sidebar, that's fantastically random, right? <laughs> it could be anything. Um, and even taking a safety course for working on oil rigs, touche, uh, he actually worked alongside Brian. And throughout that time, Egemeyer said that he repeatedly asked for payment, you know, getting paid for work, but was met with excuses and requests to pay for other expenses that would be, quote, eventually covered by the company. Egemeyer said that about a month into his stint at GPS International, he called the company to ask for information about his paycheck and learned that he was actually not even an actual employee of the oil company. Uh, and apparently GPS International did not at least immediately respond for uh, requests or for comment on the story. Quote, I still don't know why he would do that. We were friends, Egmire said. If he wasn't a scumbag, he could have been very successful. He is so convincing. <laughs> I love that his friend, who he was trying <laughs> to get a job from, referred to him after not getting paid as a scumbag, even though he knew that he was a piece of shit previously. Yeah, and you know, it just follows the pattern of his friends saying, 
He seemed very successful. He was kind of a piece of shit, but he would seem very successful. So about this situation, Bryant talks to the Daily Beast and he says that he felt quote unquote terrible about how things happen with Egemeyer. And he called Egemeyer a quote unquote, a good childhood friend. And he admitted that again, quote unquote, Hayden was a victim of my crimes. So already at least the lawyers in the house and those that watch a lot of true crime like myself should be going, He's saying all this stuff to a reporter and the reporter's reporting on it before his sentencing. And the answer is yes, yes. he is. Keep that well, in mind. And, and, you have to wonder, and we're not even done. Who is this lawyer basically being like, hey man, don't talk to the media. Well, the lawyer later on said, we told him not to talk to the media. You're going to see it. So anyways, so Bryant didn't go into detail about the scam, not as much as Egemeyer did. And he just said, that Eggmeyer worked with him when he was running an oil company. And that's part of the quote unquote federal paperwork I pled guilty to. And then Bryant said the company came to a halt when numerous workers and service companies did not get payment and investors did not get returns. So I read that and I was like, it almost sounds like Bryant's trying to say the company's real. And I would assume from Egemeyer's, um, I would assume Egemeyer's statement earlier is probably more true, which is the company's real, but Bryant didn't actually have anything to do with them. Bryant went on and said, I was pocketing all the proceeds to everything we were doing and using them to fund my lavish lifestyle. I was 23 and making around $60,000 a month. Again, sentences you don't want published in the paper or any medium before your sentencing. But one quick question. What proceeds? Proceeds from what? Like, how was he earning money if he had no viable going forward business? Like, what was his actual income stream? I think it was, you're going to see he took some stuff like vehicles and stuff like that. I think there was some some objects that weren't um but that's different that's saying i was 23 and i was stealing around sixty thousand yeah. dollars worth of stuff a month so i mean I read, the, way I read, the way i read that sentence of i was pocketing all proceeds proceeds from what true and this guy's known to boast yeah and yeah. not i'm not saying truth, that what he's saying so. is sacrosanct <laughs> i'm just saying it's not a logical explanation unless maybe there was some partial truth to the fact that it was some kind of business that had some proceeds but not enough to pay his guy there's no payroll but there's other stuff right yeah he's basically bumming money off his guy too which is horrible um, right so this this is the part where i was like this is interesting he goes on in the article to talk about that aha moment when he goes i'm gonna do this crime and you may wonder to yourself the same way I wondered to myself, what was that aha moment? Well, according to Bryant, it was a Thursday evening at Top Golf in Dallas. So if you've never been to one of these, it's kind of like a golfing stadium restaurant in a way. And some of them It's like I've a fancy seen. driving range that's mostly, I guess, indoor outdoor, but it, you know, it's like a full service restaurant and there's like an arcade and stuff like that, but it's basically a, um, you know, a more modern driving range. That's really more for the masses, not really for golfers is how I would describe it. 
Yeah, it's more for going there, drinking beer and eating yeah. appetizers and hitting a golf ball. Correct. Type of thing. So while they were doing this during a round of Top Golf in Dallas, which apparently is not glamorous to Bryant, he said, wouldn't it be cool if we could play a round of golf in Scottsdale? That would be way more fun. And then he said, after that, on a whim, he started calling charter companies and was surprised when they could fly to Arizona from Dallas, like immediately soon after, which is exactly what charter companies are for a lot of times. So, which I'm not sure why he found that surprising, but he did. So he said when he got to the point when he wanted to find out how to book trips, you know, actually put rubber to the pavement and get on a plane and go somewhere. There's going to be a process up front when the airline or the aviation company is going to say, I need payment, just like we talked about earlier. So at this point in time, this is where he just Googled third party wire transfers. And then he found out that these third party wire transfers could send over confirmation that the payments were made or started i mean the way i guess the way it looks to the victim is it was made but the way it is in the system it's sort of like it was initiated because later on he found out he could cancel them so he basically could start like a fifty thousand dollar purchase have it look like it started have the people on the other side believe him and then later on after he consumed whatever it was he purchased Basically, this virtual check would bounce and the money wouldn't come through and they'd be sitting there going, oh, my God, how am I going to pay for all this stuff? This guy just schemed out of us. He said specifically in the article, he said it was the delayed payment confirmations. That was the reason he was able to get away with it for so long. You know, he wasn't caught right away because immediately you're going, this is so much money. How was he not caught right away? These delayed payments factor into how long it would take for somebody to be able to catch them. It's kind of like you got robbed. You didn't know you were robbed until later on. And the person had already taken the services and taken off. He said after when people figured out that he ripped them off, basically he would be constantly hounded by private jet companies or whatever other services that he didn't pay for. And he said, I would just stop taking their calls. I just also just went crazy. So he spent as much money as he could in the shortest amount of time as he could. He said it was very stressful, extremely stressful to dodge calls. He said that he reached a point where he didn't really care and he used each lavish trip to basically escape the realities of all these problems he has now because of the scheme, this fraud scheme. So he got arrested in March of 2020 on a similar state charge. And we're talking only about federal here. There's state stuff I haven't even tried to pull that because the federal side is just so big. So he was caught and then he was released on bail on a $150,000 bond. And he continued, he didn't stop. He continued his fraud scheme. But just so we're clear, I feel like we're giving him too much credit to call it a scheme. Like, I think he was really just kind of flying by the seat of his pants and just kind of doing whatever and then like just continuing to double down, double down. And I guess the word hadn't spread that he 
you know, anybody who does business with this dude should not do business with this dude. And, you know, um, it's almost like, I guess if you have QuickBooks, I guess it's almost like that's your key to just getting any kind of business is you just, you know, buy something and just say, yeah, bill me through QuickBooks. Yeah. I mean, unless I'm overreading it, it's basically, there's no scheme there. It was basically, what can I get away with via QuickBooks? And Veeam, yeah. That and was Veeam, just, yeah. That was, that was the very basic that's the scheme. scheme. That he, I mean, it wasn't he got like away he with had over... like a coordinated effort. It wasn't like he was bringing other, I'm just trying to compare it to other, other podcasts we've done where he wasn't bringing in people to help him. It was kind of just whatever the fuck which uh, yeah. I think is doing the word scheme a disservice. Anyway, um, okay. So let's move to around a year, well, more than a year ago, around November 25th of 22, half a year ago. So in continuing his conversation with the Daily Beast, uh, Brian kind of talked specifically about the one trip where everything started kind of catching up to him. So this is um, a year earlier than that where he flew to Miami on that private jet um, November 18th, 2021. And we, we already briefly talked about this where, you know, the base cost of the private jet was over $33,000 from Texas. There was an extra 5,000 for, uh, to cover, um, booze as well as limousine. And then, you know, the two way side of that trip doubles the cost about $76,000. So, and if you remember, you know, uh, he got contacted via QuickBooks and he was like, Hey, buddy, send me uh, an email and I'll have my secretary pay and no worries here. And then he was like, by the way, she's paying it right now. So there, by the way, and that's important because it gets to his criminal intent. But um, apparently they only got three days. Brian and his friends who he was entertaining only got three days into that Miami vacation before the private jet company contacted him about receiving a notification from QuickBooks directly about a failed invoice and, and whatnot. And remember promising to pay invoices with bank wire transfers, you know, is completely illegal. <laughs> and that's really, I think, how they kind of arrested him. So uh, keeping on the private jet company continued asking him and contacting him about the $76,000 they were owed. And I think Jones gave a good, uh, you know, uh, key connection there. This is during COVID where everybody was hungry for money. So they were specifically interested in getting paid on that. And keep in mind also that this guy was 26 years old at the time, which isn't an excuse, but it does kind of get to his brashness. Yeah. So the reason why Bryant says he made this mistake of using the same company, initially I had to think about this. So if, if it's not obvious to you, I'm going to say out loud what I had to figure out, which is he flew to Miami, had some parties and some fun in Miami, which I, it sounds like it took at least a day or more. Right. And then he flew back. So, because his trip was longer than a few days and he used the same company to fly out that he used to fly back, they knew flying back that his payment going out didn't happen. So if he used a different company and stiffed the company that he flew out in and then he used a new company to fly back and stiffed them, that new company flying back wouldn't know that he just stiffed going out there. So this is what kind of bites him is this company learns about him stiffing, stiffing them through their services. And they're basically, they know now like where he lives and because he's, you know, they fly him to the city and all that kind of stuff. They know who he is and all that stuff. So this is basically what he credits as his biggest mistake to his scheme. And not even, not even, oh my God, I'm so sorry to these people. It was kind of like, man, 
I would have kept getting away with it had I used a, two different companies instead of just one. I didn't hear any feeling bad for anybody. It was kind of like, I feel bad for myself because I used one company instead of two. Otherwise, I would have gotten away with it. Right. So when I said that they followed him, it so basically you imagine this company flew him out to Miami, flew him back to Texas. And on the way back, they know that they are getting stiffed. So they land in Texas, and then Bryant goes to a Houston Rockets game. And when he does, he's surprised to find out that the plane company stuck around to receive payment because they've been hounding him. They know that they didn't pay him going out. They want this payment, and it's a lot of money. So what did he do? Do you think Bryant said, oh, God, I'm they're going to I'm going to get caught. I need to go pay these guys or at least go come clean. Not at all. To avoid them, he went to a Porsche dealership, bought a Porsche SUV and then went to fucking Nashville from Texas. So if you're not familiar with the US, that's not a short drive. It's I would say at least at least a good work day, maybe probably overnight drive depending on where you're at in Texas. Now, he goes on and, like, he was arrested a month later. He was at another car dealership attempting to buy an Audi and a Maserati. And then Brian continues to tell the, the reporter, he says, I, in that moment, I kind of felt some relief because I knew it was over, he said. Towards the end of it, it was all looking over my shoulder. And you kind of feel bad for him, but not really because all the people he stiffed are probably crying and looking over their shoulder for their bill collectors because you just stiffed them of hundreds of thousands of dollars collectively. And actually collectively it'd be over millions of dollars. Yeah. He goes on to say it was fun, but I definitely do regret it. A lot of these companies are good, hardworking people. They built these companies up and it's hard to take a hundred thousand dollar loss. And I did that to 50 people. Again, he's telling the media this, this is printed. It says, it's definitely weird to look at pictures and think, wow, I was just living in the moment. The serious consequences had zero impression on me. Here we're going to end act three. That was just all him talking to the media. So all that stuff now is printed in the media and you go, hmm, I wonder how that's going to affect his sentencing. Well, act four is his sentencing hearing. And we're going to talk all about that. So if you liked anything in this act, please on let's say YouTube. If you're on YouTube, click like, click subscribe. If you're on audio podcasting app, please click subscribe. And if you're, especially if you're on Apple podcasts, if you give us a five-star review and just say, Hey, appreciate the show. Just pretty much anything that helps us go up in the search algorithms of a Apple podcasts, which is about half of our audio audience. So that's why I'm taking the time to say this. And then, you know, if you're on our other social media platforms, you can just totally fuck off. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. If you're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, I try to make this podcast as accessible and as free as possible. Just give us a like, give us a follow, give us a reshare, introduce us to people that haven't seen us. And then I won't have to say fuck off next time. It'll be great. I, I'd appreciate it. And with that, I'm going to close out Act 3, which was Bryant Talks to the Media, and I will see you tomorrow on Act 4, which is the sentencing hearing.